pass underneath the black who got free and slams it in dumps it down right corner black for three got it bounce pass down low there it is black inside up and oh, in that's counted up. and he's fouled underneath black black over roby up and missed it followed by black is good let us stay with it Followed his own miss. Man, has he been a workhorse lately. Eifert bounce pass. Haas lost it. Taken away. Two on one. Fast break. Black for the slam. Frazier back to Black. Open. Top of the key. Three. Good. Yes, sir. Around Black. 55-52. Illinois Black trying to answer for three on the right wing. It's time for Saturday Sports Talk on News Talk 1400. WDWS Champaign-Urbana. We'll get you caught up on your Illini sports news along with other area national sports news. Here are Lauren Tate and Michael Kaiser. Good Saturday morning. Thanks for joining us. 33 degrees just after 9 o'clock. The Ron Black highlights. Maybe one of our playing those. Reports last night surfaced what we've all expected was a possibility. Uh, so are those the last time you'll hear some highlights in an Illini basketball uniform? We don't know. Uh, Lauren Tate, uh, LaRon apparently has informed the coaches in court in reports last night uh, that he is going to test his pro prospects. Oh, yeah, they support that. I mean, you've seen that with Crooked Eye. We're going to see what a lot of guys are yeah. going to test. As long as they don't get an agent, they'll players that aren't going to be drafted, and probably neither one of those would be drafted, Cook or, or Black, mm -hmm. uh, they would probably uh, return. Now, that doesn't mean they would return necessarily because there's also Europe and there's also the chance to play overseas. And um, that's that's a consideration at this point. Uh, Black has graduated. Uh, will he want to get his master's? And what part does his fiance play in this? Because she's going to graduate in May, I hear. Yeah, that's what I, I've heard that as well. I, it, he would be a big blow to this team next season uh, from an offensive standpoint, uh, if he can stay out of foul trouble. The last four games of the season, he had four fouls. Uh, he fouled out, I think, five or six times this year. Um, but for the most part... In the middle of the season, he didn't get in foul trouble as consistently as he did at the end of the season. So the foul problems really reared their ugly head late in the year once again. Yeah, well, um, there's going to be a lot more movement oh, with yeah. regard to the Illinois basketball roster as we go forward. Because, as I've said and said and said, you've got the, the fifth-year seniors coming up that, that, that are going to be uh, moving uh, on, on various schools. You see... Uh, Kevin Ollie got fired today uh, at Connecticut. That's just one example. Soon, uh, soon you'll probably have five, six, seven, eight major schools that are that are looking for coaches. And all the recruits that are going to those schools have the option. And uh, this is not. Uh, this is a kind of a policy now. If you're if if your coach moves, you can get out of your uh, commitment. You can get out of your even if you signed. And that means a lot of players will suddenly become available. Young players who would be incoming freshmen prospective recruits and you never know what you're going to get out of that some th th some of those players will definitely change now you got to remember uh, Illinois is recruiting a player right now Courtney Ramey who is already committed to Louisville and, and was and, and and got out of that and Arizona's lost their entire class yeah so yeah. really they, good players they, and they didn't even change coaches but they almost did <laughs> yeah they almost did well and Tebby and John Jones who's here this weekend has a workout at 10 15 this morning here at Illinois over at Ubbin you know, Arizona is heavily involved with him, but now there's a lot of uncertainty there with Arizona uh, and what's going to happen with Sean Miller and, and what, who knows what's going to happen this offseason. I mean, what's going to come out of this offseason that prompts Arizona to make a decision there? You, you just have no idea. 
Well, it looks to me like, as far as Sean Miller's concerned, they've made a decision to retain him, and I don't think he's going to leave. I think he's going to stay right there. That's my opinion. I don't, I, that may not be a majority opinion, but when you have that kind of support, they supported him when things were really grim, and he's, you know, how many years do you think it'll take for oh, for uh, comments on a phone that are under protective uh, care right now? I mean, you, you, you can't get to those statements, uh, the, the 3,000 uh, phone calls that they have recorded, that the FBI has recorded, are, are not available. Nope. So nobody's going to be able to prove anything regarding that until, uh, you know, until they, it goes to court and the prosecuting attorney and as well as the defendants will actually have access to the phone. The, the, I, I don't know. I, I think that uh, Sean Miller is probably going to ride this out. We'll see. I think it's a it's a good uh, guess by you. I one I would not argue with. I, I think until Arizona is presented with solid information that he did do something wrong, which he vehemently denies, Sean Miller's probably not going anywhere. Uh, again, Kevin Ollie at Lauren mentioned Kevin Ollie got fired according to Jeff Goodman at ESPN is out at UConn, been fired for just cause due to the ongoing investigation. UConn went fourteen and eighteen this season. They missed two straight NCAA tournaments, but UConn just won the national championship four years ago under Kevin Ollie. So things went south there, and it seems like uh, they're firing for cause. It has more to do with the NCAA, NCAA investigation than it does for on-court, on-court performance. But UConn uh, will maybe say more about that. Well, they must they must know something because yeah. otherwise they're going to be uh, sued by. I mean, they'll probably be sued anyway by Ali uh, for the remainder of his contract, and uh, we'll see what happens there. That, that that'll be a long drawn out thing too. I imagine you can unless join- they can reach a conclusion among themselves. Yep, give us your thoughts on LaRon Black, on Kevin Ollie, anything going on, big-time college basketball tournaments this weekend. Four of the Power Five championship games are today. Of course, the Big Ten already had its tournament championship game last weekend. Four games today. Kansas, Kansas State played last night. Uh, Kedrick Prince coming up here in just a few minutes of Illinois Rivals. He's on his way into town today to watch the Tevian Jones workout over at Ubbin again at 10.15. That 9.30, Dave Repson of the Big Ten Network will join us for the first time in a while. He's doing much better health-wise, of course, was at the Big Ten tournament last week. We're going to take a timeout. We're going to bring in Kedrick Prince of Illinois Rivals. Again, the Castle Heating and Cooling text line 351-5357 or call 356-9397. Kedrick Prince up next here on DWS. Welcome back to Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS. Michael Kaiser, Lauren Tate with you. Plenty of college basketball in store for today's show. Of course, it's a big weekend selection Sunday tomorrow. A lot of people complaining how they're unveiling the teams tomorrow night. Maybe get into that later in the show. Uh, but uh, a lot of basketball conversation right now. Conference tournament uh, conversation, NCAA tournament conversation later. Again, Dave Repson of the Big Ten Network coming up at 9.30. Now joining us, Kedrick Prince of Illinois Rivals. Give him a follow on Twitter at KedPrince4. Ked, how are the roads this morning? Not bad. It's sunny, and it's nice out. not too cold because I'm in a car, I guess, so. I'm driving on the interstate again. That's what I do best. Yeah, you're always traveling. You live about three. You live about three hours from here, right? Yeah, about three hours from Champaign. Last night I was in Pekin watching one of Lauren's favorite guys, EJ Liddell. I heard Lauren made a comment one time. I mean, he may be one of the best power forwards to come through the state in ten or fifteen years. Lauren, I think you're right. I was impressed 
that's a big kid, and it's quick, and he's athletic. Ooh, he's going to make somebody really good. Yeah, he was so good as a sophomore last year. You know, those two big tournament games I attended down there last year, he scored 77 points in two big games, 34 one game, 43 the other. And he's got a jump shot. He blocks shots. He, you know, he's got he, he he's just got it all. I just don't. I don't think he's a four-year college player by any means. I think maybe one or two and out. What do you think? Well, I yeah, I, well, I have to agree. I he blocked two shots to start the game with, and I didn't have my camera ready. I know his head was at the rim. I mean, and he blocked them. Tony Weisinger was there too. And I chatted with him, a former Illini great, and he was like, "I've not seen a kid like that in a long time." Because he could shoot it, and he's so smooth. He's big, he's strong, and he can finish. He can shoot free throws. I just—he's going to make somebody a really good program. But you're right; he's a one and done type of kid. It's been a long time since I've seen a kid that smooth and that good in a long, long time. Of course, you got to remember he's a junior, and of course, uh, Taylor Horton Tucker is comparable to him. I understand. I haven't seen him play this year, but uh, he's a senior. And who do you think is going to get Player of the Year? Well, because of the politics, it's probably I know you know EJ got Gatorade Player of the Year, but I it's got to be Taylor just because he played the whole year. He's a senior, signed with Division One. I O when he was hurt, that kind of set him back a little bit. But I'd be very surprised if Simeon's having a year. They're probably going to get the state. He'll probably be the front runner. But I would EJ Ohio was going to be the second or third for sure. Kedrick Prince of Illinois Rivals joining us on Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS. Recruiting analyst for Rivals.com, orangeandbluenews.com. Uh, as you heard, he travels all over the place to catch Illini basketball. In, coming in town to watch Tavian Jones uh, later today at 1040 over at Ubman. We'll get to that in a little bit. Um, well, let's, let's stick with, uh, let's get your thoughts on LaRon Black. Uh, nothing official from the program or from him, but reports surfaced last night that he has indeed, not a surprise, told the staff that he's going to test uh, his chances to go pro, whether that be the NBA or overseas. Um, not going to sign with an agent right now. Um, what are his, chance, his chances of coming back? Because I think he can play overseas. I don't know what level, uh, but he had a great uh, season here this year. He has a very good chance of playing overseas. I mean, and that's going to happen whether it be this year or next year. I was told, you know, and, I, and Lauren was right. I mean, the staff supports it, you know, and I don't blame the kid for doing it. I, you know, Lauren mentioned that. But I was I read last night with some guy named Eric Schmidt out of Chicago. Mm-hmm. He had, he tweeted the Illinois basketball office in it that Laurent was going to get an agent. I don't know if that's true or not. I've not heard that officially, but a guy tweeted that out. And he didn't delete it that he was going to eventually get an agent because you know he and when I mentioned the staff supports it because they understand obviously they want him to come back, but you know he's graduating I, and his mother is begging him to get his master's degree, but he's going to be married. His, his fiance, you know, is going to be graduating. So he sees the money overseas, and I understand that. He's an injury away from losing all of that because he was injured once. So I get it, but from an Illinois fan standpoint, it stinks because I see what they have coming back in the second year in the system. I mean, I have, you know, Tupper talked about it, you know, a few weeks ago. I see this team winning 2023 20, games next year with him being back based on the year in the system and who they're bringing back and if kids get better. And obviously you need LaRon. He's a big piece of that. If uh, if he wanted to go overseas, how do you learn about your options if you don't get an agent? 
if you don't get an agent, because most guys who are in college basketball, like there's another kid, and I, I won't say his name, his father mentioned to me that he wants his son to go overseas. This kid plays limited minutes, but he plays. Most guys who play at the Division One level get a chance to go over. Um, I know Jason Randall, a guy from Stanford, played with the Knicks, and he's playing overseas, and, you know, the money is different, and there's and it's so many different levels unlike the NBA. So I think LeBron is going to have a chance just based off his career and what he's done over there. And if he gets an agent, then that's just more marketing tools for him to market him for more money. It's hard to say, but if I were a betting man, I'm going to be honest. I think there's a good chance that he may leave just because of the money. Yeah, well, I, I think there's certainly that chance. I don't know if it's 50-50 or what it is, but I think where they stand right now is they have agreed or uh, Laurent has agreed not to do anything immediately other than, of course, sign up for the NBA draft, which doesn't mean anything. You can just pull right out of that, uh, and he'll get a reading there uh, maybe on uh, what his future is uh, professionally. But uh, I don't think we're going to know anything in the next month. I, I don't think that. What do you think? No. Yeah, I don't think we will either. And just me evaluating him, he had a great year. Um, I just Here's what I see, at least from an NBA standpoint. I think he'll have a hard time guarding anybody on the perimeter at, the, at that level. Yeah. Maybe even over, maybe even overseas. His jump shot has improved. He was the best three-point shooter statistically on the team. I get that. But I think he's too small to defend in the post. And that's why I don't think he's going to get those quote-unquote high rankings for the NBA. And, you know, his team didn't win at Illinois. So some people don't think that matters, but it really and truly does, which is one of the reasons why Trent, I'm not saying he would have won a freshman year, but you got to win. And so I just think LeBron has a chance to play overseas. An NBA player, I just don't see it. And he did get better. And I think, you know, him, you never see him put the ball on the floor. You never see that. And at that level, I mean, Illinois just signed a big seven foot kid, six foot ten, eleven kid yesterday, who can shoot threes. You got to be able to put the ball on the floor. And Laurent, I've not seen him do that. Kedrick, it, it, how much did the three point shooting? Because last year he did, not on numbers in front of me, but he did decent. And most of he let it go last year from three. I was like, what are you doing? But this year, I was like, wow. I mean, he, he. I mean, every game, game after game after game. So he really improved his three point shot at this off season. How much does that did that help his ability to leave after this year? Because prior to this season, I never thought there was any chance in the world he could leave early, even bef- even with the engagement. But as the season wore on, his shooting just got better and better. And that sometimes that high arcing, you know, jump shot. Even I'm, I'm like, he lets that go. I'm like, oh, that's not going, and it goes in every time. How much did the improvement of his shooting, uh, especially from three point range, put him in a position to where he can leave early? A lot. I mean, high because he couldn't do it before. He before before he was a guy that was a ten to fifteen foot elbow mid range game expanded and he knows it and I give the kid credit you know that was a knock on his game and if it were my kid my son I would say listen you were that guy who was a low post guy you you mastered the mid range game now you can shoot the three go back to school for a year and show these people you can put the ball on the floor. Because that's the piece that he's missing. Because you're right. That part of his game surprised everyone. It was to the point where he would shoot it, and we expected it to go in this year. Yeah. We, I mean, fans really did. So he improved so much. 
And I think in the system that he's in with a big guy to have coming in, if he pans out, he doesn't have to be that guy. He's able to maybe go off that pitch post to get to the basket so people can put the ball on the floor. That part of his game is missing. Well, let's, uh, let's move away from LeRon Black and, and talk about Samba Kane, the commitment yesterday. Uh, you mentioned you just mentioned a couple minutes ago. What do you know about him? Uh, not a lot of high major interest. Uh, and he reclassified, which obviously impacts, you know, when that happens, sometimes there's some, you know, it's a last-minute deal for some people. He, he plays down in Florida right now. What do you know about him? Yeah, you said he can shoot the three, but can he help Illinois next year, either defensively or, or even on the offensive end at all? I'm gonna, we've all seen limited films on him, and I'm going to tell you, I spent three hours searching, and I found a couple that people didn't see. Actually, they're on his Twitter page, to be honest. he uh, I think he's a little bit better than what people think, and, and here's why I'm going to say that. I When I looked at his game film, I mean, at first I was thinking, okay, you know what, he's playing against midgets. You know, he's seven foot tall. But then I saw a different film, and then I seen him be able to shoot threes, I love his shot blocking ability offensively, and this is no disrespect to Greg Bogadine that people are comparing. He's way further along offensively than he is. What he will provide for Illinois is this. When they play baseline defense, Michigan, I remember the Michigan State-Indiana game and Iowa game. They spread Illinois out. They go baseline. And I remember Miles Bridges having a field day going mm-hmm. baseline. Him standing there will at least make people think differently because as thin as he is, regardless, he is a shot blocker. And and I anywhere around the basket, he's a, not a finesse player. He goes up strong, and he looks to dunk the basketball. Now, would he be great his freshman year? We don't know that. It depends on, you know, some kids mature differently. Look at Trent. Trent barely got any minutes. Brad mentioned the Northwestern game. He barely saw the floor. And then toward the end of the season, he never came out. Greggy Bogadine got better. So I think offensively, and Doug, excuse me, Brad, you know, one of my colleagues, you know, a rival said the same thing. He says, Ketter, I think this kid's a little bit better offensively than what people are giving him credit for because he can do things offensively that they don't have right now who can do that. Well, I, I think that the defense is the main thing with him, and, and I think it's, it's uh, unusual that big men come in and are really sharp offensively. I mean, I, it just doesn't yep. happen very often. Um, I think the big concern that I have with Illinois, I don't know, I, and I said this without any proof, all just a, a feeling, I think Illinois gave up more layups this, and dunks this year than any team in Illinois history. I've never seen anything like it. I mean, yes. uh, Michigan I State ran a dunkathon. Yes. I, I went back through four games just uh, day before yesterday, and they, they gave up 15, 15, 15, and 19 in those four games, layups and dunks. And then you say, well, the other team shot 55% well, or 59%. Well, that's why. You can't do that. And if, if this guy can prevent some of that stuff, if you're going to play the kind of defense they do where you're overplaying and allowing people to get uh, backdoor you and, and get around you on the yep. drives, you've got to have a basket defender. And I don't know if he's the answer, but it sounds like he's a lot closer than anybody we have on the team right now. Well said, Lauren. I mean, and Lauren, you're exactly right. I remember the Penn State game. I mean, I'm t- it was – I'm sitting there watching that, and it was like a layup after layup. And where we sit at press row, you guys are more toward, you know, the Illinois side, and I'm more toward the opposing teams. And I'm going to tell you, they say it. They know. You can hear them say, attack the basket. And, I mean, how many times did you see people get those layups when the shot clock was running down? They know there was no one there to block shots. 
even from part I mean, I know I we talked about DJ Liddell a little bit. So I'm watching this kid last night. After his first two block shots, the Moline High School team, they were very tentative on attacking that basket. And Lauren, you're right. If people know that there's at least someone there, it's going to prevent some of those layups. Now, you're right. Defensively, that's what I really want to see. I like to see the kid, you know, get two or three blocks a game. He gives nine rebounds and six points. That's great because that's something that they haven't had because those layups attempts should go down. I just don't know where he will be, you know, at this level. And people think also, you know, because uh, he reclassified, from my understanding, a lot of the people were starting to come in to see him. They knew Illinois found Illinois was sneaking in on him. And some of the bigger programs were starting to sneak in on him. Minnesota was starting to sneak in. Indiana. There was other programs starting to come in. That's why Illinois did what they need to do was locking him up yesterday. If you're a star-ranking guy, and I'm not, I just based it on talent, ESPN had him as a four-star recruit. So you know the talent's there. Well, we'll have to see. Uh, and let's see, get to Tevi and Jones running short on time here. A lot of things we want to get to with you, but I can't get to all of it today. But um, he's here this weekend. You know, Lorna and I talked about the top of the show that uh, Arizona was heavily involved, but now there's a lot of uncertain, uncertainty there. Arizona's lost its entire recruiting class. Where does Illinois stand with him? Yeah, he's here on an official visit, but where does Illinois stand with him and the chances of landing him? Illinois is in good shape. They're in great shape. But I will tell you this. I would be very surprised if he committed this weekend from what I was told yesterday. I know he's enjoying himself. There's a possibility that he could. Um, the, the, what needs to happen today at the oven is the mother needs to be impressed. Um, the kid likes Illinois, and he knows. I've talked to him several times. Loves the staff, loves Chin, loves Brad, you know, um, Jamal. But I don't think he's going to pull the, pull the plug like, you know, Griffin did or like Kane did last, you know, like he did last night. So I think they're, I think they leave for him. If you're asking me that, I would, I do. I really believe that they leave for him. Io is a big factor in this. I know some people don't like to hear it, but I mean, I always confirm when a kid tells me, Hey, I talked to this kid, I'll call the other kid to confirm it. They talk. Io has made it really clear to him. And he, to me, I know we're short on time. I, he, to me, is a guy, if they get him losing some of these other kids, it won't make a difference if these kids pan out. That kid is good, too. Tavian Jones is quick. He can shoot it, and he has deep range. And if you look at what Brad's recruited with Griffin and him, they need a shooters, and that's what he got. Uh, Kedrick, uh, uh, does he have relatives uh, still in Chicago? Yes, he does. He mentioned that to me once, and that was a, that's going to be a deciding factor because he's able to go see them. They can come see him play. He did mention that to me. Yes, he does. And that's why I don't, that's not the only reason why, but this is kind of home for him because he's been here before and he's comfortable and, you know, it's two and a half hours away. Well, Kedrick, before we let you go, signing day is not until April 17th. Uh, so Tevi and Jones can't take some visits to some of the other schools because the seasons are still going on postseason, postseason, like NCAA tournament and things like that. You got uh, a dead period coming up. Yeah, they're wanting to. Yeah. They, they got to wait until the season's end and teams are eliminated. Does that factor him still wanting to take visits? Is that, is that a factor here as well in, in terms of him not committing this weekend? I think it might, but I'm going to tell you. You know, Lauren just mentioned it. You know, a few minutes ago, with all these firings, kids are leaving scholarships. They're they're not. They're only going to hold scholarships for so long. 
because I'm going to tell you, Illinois is going to fill those scholarships. I have no doubt in my mind. So, and they, I know they told him that. I'm 100% they have, not to put pressure on the kid, but yes, I think for them to be able to, to get him to sign, they're going to make it well known because you guys know they have a lot of offers out there on the table, and that will that could come into play with him if he decides to pick Illinois or not. All right, two quick things, uh, and break them down as quick as you can. Uh, Courtney Ramey and then Kane's uh, commitment and impact on Austin Trice. Break those down quickly if you can, please. Real quick, um, there's a 90% chance I'm going to be on the road to go watch Courtney Ramey play tonight. Oh. Um, <laughs> Courtney Ramey is huge. I don't think Courtney Ramey has too big a fan than Lauren Tate and Kelly Prince because that kid's a difference maker really quick. And um, Austin Trice, I think, they're, I think the staff's waiting on him. I think they're waiting to see what else comes available. They have an offer because that kid would have committed two weeks ago. All right. Good uh, good breakdown there, Kedrick. Appreciate your time. Uh, it's going to be a lot of basketball. Season is never over. They may not be playing any games, right. but uh, the season is never, ever over. It, every single day, fans are just – What's happening now is a lot more important than what happened at the end of the season. It absolutely is. <laughs> it really is because yes, it's it the is. future of Illinois basketball. It's on the line right now. Well, Kedrick, get off that phone. Safe travels as you travel all around the place to watch Illini basketball recruits. We appreciate the time this morning. Thank you. See you guys. Thank See you. you. Yep. Give Kedrick a follow on Twitter at KedPrince4 with Illinois Rivals OrangeAndBlueNews.com. Coming up next, switch over to more Big Ten postseason coverage. Who's going to make the NCAA tournament right now? As we've been saying since about December, only four teams from the Big Ten are going to get in. Dave Refson of the Big Ten Network joins us up next here on Saturday Sports Talk on DWS. Welcome back to Saturday Sports Talk on DWS. Michael Kaiser alongside Lauren Tate. Thanks for joining us. A lot of college basketball conversation, a lot of basketball recruiting throughout the show today. A lot of football spring practice coverage later in the show. Strength and conditioning coach Joy Bose. Uh, Lauren and I got a chance to sit down with him earlier this week. Now returning to the program, Dave Repson of the Big Ten Network. Good to have you back, Dave. How are you doing these days? I'm good. What's up, Michael? What's up, Lauren? How are you guys? Not too bad. Uh, Dave, we got a, a, a bad connection there. Are you, um, are, you, are you in a difficult area? Or? Go ahead, Dave. Uh, not that I'm aware of. No, no. Um, okay. uh, we better call you back, Dave. Um, okay. Uh, you hang up, and we'll try it again. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, we'll get we'll get uh, Dave right back on uh, there. There's just a bunch of a static and stuff like that. I'm not sure what was going on there. We tried a different line and try to get Dave back. But of course, if, if you don't know, Dave had an ailment that uh, he had to miss some time, was away from uh, the Big Ten Network for a little bit of time this season, and maybe get him to talk about that. Of course, he was back last week uh, when the when the Big Ten Network. He was back before last week when the the Big Ten tournament was up in New York at Madison Square Garden. Was there all weekend long. Great to see him back uh, as a part of that. Of course, if you're just joining us this morning, uh, uh, just announced this morning was uh, UConn has fired Kevin Ollie. And then some news out of Missouri. Gabe DeArmond, uh, covers Missouri for Rivals, reports that senior forward Jordan Barnett was arrested at 326 this morning for failure to drive in a single lane and suspicion of driving while intoxicated. DeArmond says the school issued a statement that the program is aware that Barnett was involved in an incident last night. The program has no further comment at this time against a statement from Missouri. And Barnett averages nearly 14 points a game and just under six rebounds a game for Missouri, the senior. And that's a, that's a big blow to them, Lauren. 
Yeah, well, that's on the assumption he won't be playing. Yeah, that's true. I got <laughs> and that. I assume he won't be, but I, you never know. <laughs> the, their, their next game is in the the NCAA tournament. All right, let's try to go back to uh, Dave Revson here. Dave, you there? Uh, yeah. I'm, oh, I'm boy, sound there. great. Oh, yeah, it's <laughs> totally different. Clear as a bell. Wow. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, so, yeah. Amazing, this, the vagaries of this world we live in. Oh, <laughs> I know. Well, it was good to see you back the last uh, several weeks. So, so, so you're feeling okay these days? Yeah, definitely lots better, Mike. Thanks. Um, it was a, uh, it's been quite an odyssey. It was a tough six or seven weeks. I had this uh, bout with Bell's palsy, which uh, I, I documented, and, and certainly you know a lot of people gave some great uh, feedback on it, and, and really was uh, was kind of overwhelming in some ways how kind the Big Ten fans were, and a lot of Illini fans among those who reached out. So that that really meant a lot. And then just as I was kind of recovering from that, the, the virus that caused the Pell's palsy apparently jumped to an adjoining nerve and caused a horrible bout of vertigo, oh. which uh, had sidelined me for at least another week, and, and I'm still feeling the after effects of that a little bit. So it, it's it's really been pretty miserable, but uh, <laughs> but we're better. The Pell's palsy is almost completely gone, and, and vertigo is getting far better. So it's... Uh, yeah, I, for someone who's usually really healthy, it, it was just kind of it just floored me how bad this winter was. But but getting better, and appreciate you asking. Well, I, I'm going to get right into it. The Big Ten tournament was played in New York. Some people liked it, some people didn't. There were positives, there were negatives. Tell me about the positives, David. Well, from where I sit, Lauren, I thought it was great. Uh, you know, I um, I understand kind of the notion that this is a Midwestern conference in its roots and that the games ought to be played in the Midwest and closer to where more fans are. But I guess I'm of the belief that if you're going to have teams from other regions of the country in your league, you have to occasionally bring those games to them. And if you're going to do that, I just can't imagine a better place than Madison Square Garden. I mean, it was unbelievable. It, it really was. It, I mean, first of all, it was packed. You know, we had the first sellout in four years of a session on Friday night. That was that was fabulous. Um, a lot of enthusiasm of, of the fan base. You know, you have about 100,000 Big Ten alums just in New York City alone. So the, there were no lack of people wanting to attend the games and – I just thought it was fabulous. The, the players really enjoyed it. I mean, everyone you talked to said, wow, this is really cool. And it just feels like there's something about MSG for whatever reason, maybe the Knicks aside, that, uh, <laughs> that elevates people's games, right? Like that yeah. kind of gets people playing at, at a level that they wouldn't otherwise play at. I mean, it just felt like the quality of the games was really good. And uh, the enthusiasm of the fans was great. There's just kind of a specialness about it. And, the location, you know, the fans can kind of come right into Penn Station and, and walk up to the garden, and it just, I don't know. There's, uh, as, as someone who, like, I lived in New York for a year. I'm not a huge New York person. I, I find it a little overwhelming, and I would never want to live there again. But, but man, for a weekend, it's great. I mean, it is really something. Now, playing a week early meant that uh, the, a lot of the other com- major conferences weren't playing. TV ratings were way up for the tournament. Yep. However... The bad side of that is that no games this last week, and the whole country's going crazy over all these games, and the Big Ten's just kind of sitting on their hands. I, I didn't like going a week early. What did you think? Well, I, I mean, I understand that frustration. I didn't like it in the sense that in talking to coaches when I was doing games this year, I mean, all of them said it was really challenging on their players, this yeah. idea of kind of a lot of one-day turnarounds and the compressed schedule. 
So in talking to them, I was kind of predisposed to think that that hadn't worked well. Uh, and, and to his credit, I mean, this is something I've always admired about Jim Delaney. Like if, if there's something that, that doesn't work out, he'll say it, you know, and he came out and said that he heard from the coaches that they didn't like the schedule this way and they won't do it again. So, uh, but, but that he felt the end result of being at the garden was, was worth it. And I, again, I would certainly echo that sentiment. Uh, it's crazy, Lauren. It's, it's funny. I'm always so consumed. I mean, the, the big 10 championship week is our Super Bowl week. You know, especially now. I mean, we had ten games over the first three day, three days. We had everything. So I mean, we were on thirteen straight hours from the Garden Thursday and Friday, and so you get this kind of myopia where you have no idea what's going on in the rest of the world. And it would have been enhanced this year. I, it's funny. I've been sitting at home watching the other conference tournaments now this week, and like, man, this is a great week. <laughs> I've forgotten <laughs> in the in the ten years that I've been doing this and kind of consumed by the Big Ten how much fun this week is and crazy finishes all over the place and you know every conference coming down to the wire and the bubble teams and whatnot so it is a little weird that the big 10 isn't a part of that again i i wouldn't want to do it on a permanent basis but i i think this is where i was just thrown off by how how strong some of the negative reactions were i mean it's just one year you know like I, it's not the end of the world i mean you know we all have you know, hopefully a lot of years to, to enjoy the Big Ten tournament, and this was just one of them, and this was a chance to do something different and unique, and, and I think it's a one-year experiment. You take the, the good with the bad, and you say, okay, like this was to kind of further this goal of, of expanding the league and bringing new fans in and, and expanding the footprint of, of where you're covered heavily and and where you bring your product and all that makes sense to me and next year will be in chicago and the year after will be in indy and you know you've got four years where you know it'll be in the midwest and everything can be back to normal and the world will still spin on its axis and i think everything will be okay <laughs> dave Revson of the big 10 network joining us here on saturday sports talk on dws i i, I was in the, the the negative camp and then of course after it was over i, I read some of your comments on twitter and and I'm like, okay, I might be turning the corner a little bit on this. And then the attendance was really great. You could hear the the fans, especially when Rutgers went on its run. I think for me at first, before the tournament started, was the fact that it was just in D.C. last year. So it be on the East Coast two years in a row. Um, yeah. I, I, I thought, well, that's a bit much. But I, I, I'm not a huge – I've never been to the Garden, so maybe I need to go. I, I didn't see the, the draw of the Garden, but I need to go to the Garden so I could change that opinion. Um, but there's something really special about it, Michael. I mean, uh, again, I, I, I hear you on the two years in a row. And honestly, I didn't think D.C. was great. Now, part of that was the first game that Maryland played, they lost to Northwestern. Yep. And, and so you kind of had this huge fan base that I think would have elevated the weekend that, that wasn't there. Penn State wasn't having a good year. Obviously, Rutgers was terrible. And, and so, you know, you kind of the three teams that could easily draw fans to D.C., you, you kind of had – very minimal enthusiasm for but but again i hear what you're saying on the two years in a row and i'd be surprised if they ever do it in consecutive years again well let's uh break down uh the ncaa tournament selection show is tomorrow uh, right now four out of 14 teams according to joe lenardi that's what a lot of people have been discussing throughout the year kind of disappointing penn state's the only other one but they're on the next four out yesterday last night nebraska was with penn state right there um disappointing to um it's just been a down year for the big 10 but it's gonna be pretty disappointing if you only see four teams in the ncaa tournament weird yeah no doubt and the middle of the league disappointed this year i i don't think there's just any way around that um you know i came into this year thinking the league was very deep 
and that we'd easily have seven or eight teams that would make the tournament. And it just didn't pan out. The non-conference didn't go well. And when you don't play well in the non-conference, it's hard to make up ground. It really is, because that's when your league is essentially set as to where it ranks in the RPI and, and all of those measures that then impact kind of how you're viewed going forward. So, you know, for instance, I mean, really damaging for Nebraska. I mean, you think about how much that win over Minnesota felt like it meant in December when Minnesota was ranked 12th in the country. And I still think they ought to get more credit for that than they're getting. Yep. But the, the point being that, you know, then Minnesota has the suspensions and the injuries and, and completely falls apart. And you just look at the teams that that we thought would be, you know, they're really solid teams that it ended up having disappointing years. And, and this is kind of what you end up with. Now, the flip side is, you know, I think we're going to have three teams seated in the top four. And, and I think all three of them I look at and think there's no reason that one or several of these teams couldn't play really deep into the tournament and couldn't be final four type teams. So, that's the strange thing, right? I mean, we all, everyone who follows college football knows the SEC was, was poor this year, but they end up with two teams in the national championship game and, and have a team win it again, of course, and nobody really talks about how miserable the middle of the league was and how incredibly average it was and, and that the bottom was truly bad. Uh, it's possible that if the Big Ten ends up winning a national championship for the first time since 2000, which I, I think is realistic, that people kind of forget. I mean, that's um, that's the narrative, unfortunately, is it's kind of, you know, you end up winning the thing. And, and so maybe that ends up working to the Big Ten's benefit because I do think that when you look at Michigan State and Purdue and Michigan, I think those are teams that could all make a really deep run. You know, uh, I, I'm just uh, concerned sometimes with how my mind works, David. But uh, <laughs> just answer that. I don't have an answer for this, but here's my question. If Duke played exactly the same schedule as Nebraska and went 13-5 and yeah. five in the conference, would Duke be in the NCAA tournament? Lauren, I don't think so. Okay. I mean, I, <laughs> right. I went to the mock selection and sat through it and kind of understand the process of, of how they pick these teams. I mean, Nebraska has one quad one win. One. Yeah. And I, I just think that that's what's being held against them. And, and, they truly don't take into account your conference record. They just kind of group all of the games that you played, and they say, you know, who are the teams that you beat that are considered quality teams, and who are the teams that are considered kind of at that next level and have kind of worked their way through. And, you know, the numbers are the numbers. Again, I, what I would say is tough with having the familiarity with Nebraska and even to a certain extent Penn State when Watkins is healthy is that I look at those two teams, and, and I think that they're good enough to play it in the NCAA tournament. I mean, kind of having watched them, having you know watched what good basketball looks like for a long time, they're both good teams. And that's the challenge here is that I think, unlike in football, where you really can, I mean, you've got, you know, how many teams that are kind of on the margin? Maybe it's two or three teams. And you really can sit down if you're on that committee, and you, especially with computers, you can take out the time in between plays and you can compress a game down to an hour. And you can watch every snap they played all year. You know, if you're down to two teams, you can devote one day to one of the teams and the next day to the second team, and you can say, okay, here's who I think's better. You just can't do that with basketball. There's so many games, and there's so many teams that are in that gray area. And so I think the eye test becomes less significant, and I think it really becomes more about the metrics. Well, you know, you as soon as you say RPI, then my hair stands up because I don't know how – I don't believe in the RPI. I mean, I, I – 
I, well, it's a bad measure. I mean, if you look at the other metrics we have available to us, you know, the RPI is, is kind of like, you know, using the, the blunt edge. And some of these other metrics are like using the fine cutting edge. You know, I mean, it's, they, they sort things differently. They take more into account. Um, so, yeah, I'm not a huge RPI guy either. And it's crazy to me that the committee still uses the RPI, even as a sorting mechanism. But you so see, as soon as you start it. saying quad one, then how do you yeah. determine what is quad one? And then you say RPI, and I say, whoa, wait a minute, I, I don't believe in that. So, uh, therefore, right. the whole thing is, you know, I call it garbage, uh, garbage, in, garbage in, garbage out. And I, yeah. No, and that's fair, Lord. And I would say this. I don't think that I, – I think some of that gets overstated, right? So I don't think that they're cutting off. I mean, if let's say, you know, you're saying um, – I think Maryland went from like 73 to 76 in the last week. And, and of course, a road win is, is a top 75 road win. And people are saying, well, then, you know, Michigan State lost a quality road win because Maryland's no longer a top 75. I don't think there's anyone on the committee who's looking at it that way. I mean, they certainly understand that there's very little difference between being 74 and 76. And I don't think that they're I, – I, I think they're just – you need something to sort out. You need some sort of sorting mechanism. But I would agree with you, the RPI is a bad measure. I mean, I'd use Ken Palm a million times before I'd use the RPI because I think it takes a lot more into account. I think it's better mathematics, for lack of a better way of putting it. And, and so to your point of, you know, if you put in only a very small number – of variables to try to create this number, you're, you're inherently going to get a less valuable number than if you put more variables in. I mean, it just kind of makes sense. Uh, and so for whatever reason they have stuck to the RPI, it is a bad measure. But I, I don't, I, like, I think if you haven't sat through that, that exercise, I learned a lot in going through it because it's not like it's, um, I don't know, it's not like it's religious orthodoxy. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not like this is the letter of the law. It's like, okay, well, this is kind of our suggestion of where we ought to go with it, but, but we take enough time to kind of parse everyone out and to really understand what those numbers are telling us. So well, you know, I appreciate, not, I appreciate your explanation, yeah. and I, I agree totally with you. I don't agree, though, however, that, that the games in December should count as much as the games in February. Now, I know I'm way off in, yeah. in that regard, but I, I just think that uh, you look at Notre Dame, you look at Minnesota, you look at so many teams that have lost players or gained players. And, and uh, you know, I, I think that the last 10 games always made sense to me, and they did away with that and put them all up there, you know, 30 games, and, and, and they're all equal, and I don't think they should be equal. Well, I think the issue with the last 10 games just was the variability of the schedule and just yeah. the feeling like when we lost round robins, when we went from where leagues you played everyone in your league and you played them twice – and so your last 10 games was usually a pretty good measure of how you went through against everyone else in your league. But when we lost that, I mean, when you're 14-team leagues and the old Big East 16 teams, it, I, I think it became – there was a feeling that if you, if you weighted too heavily with teams that just through the luck of the draw had very difficult last 10 games or very easy last 10 games that you weren't getting kind of a clear measure. So, I mean, yeah, and the Big Ten that, that you know, the three of us grew up with where – you had 10 teams and you played 18 conference games and you played, you know, the first group of nine and then you played the next, you, you played them again. I, I mean, I did think it made sense, but, but I kind of understand the, the logic. I, I guess I feel like more that at a certain point, it, it's really hard to make everyone happy. Like I do think the committee has a very <laughs> you don't challenging say. job. <laughs> it, I do think they have a tough job. Oh boy. I think by and large, they get it right. 
Um, and, and I don't feel like the – I don't think that what's killing the Big Ten this year, to kind of go back to our original premise, is that kind of how they're being judged. I mean, I do think that these teams are good enough. As I said, Nebraska and Penn State are good enough. But at a certain point, you kind of got to win the games when, when everyone's watching. And, and they – Nebraska didn't have great opportunities to. I mean, their schedule was stacked against them because of the top four teams. The only one they got at home was Michigan. Like, that's really weird, right, to, to, of the other teams of Ohio State and Michigan State uh, and Purdue, that they had to play all those teams one time and only on the road. It becomes really hard to build a resume. You bet. If you look at Nebraska, you know, they lost to Kansas on a shot in the final 30 seconds of the game. They were beating Kansas at home. Steve Kyler hits a three that puts Kansas on top, and Nebraska's unable to convert on the other end, and they lose that game by, I think, two points, maybe one point. And had that game gone the other way, Nebraska's in the tournament. I mean, it, it really is. Yeah. It sometimes does come down to one shot that either gets you in or kicks you out. And, and in their case, that's what happened. Uh, it was a one-point game, 73-72. I just, just looked it up. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it. you know, maybe that's not fair. Right? Maybe that's not how you should judge a team. But, uh, again, I think with so many data points, with so many teams – I'm just not sure there's a better way to do it. I don't think there's enough time in the day for everyone in the committee to sit down and watch every game of every team that's on the margin. It's just not fair. And so as fans of the league, the three of us are going to know those teams better than the people on the committee are. Mm -hmm. And you can say that's a flawed system. I mean, there are people who are in charge of every league who are supposed to watch every game, who report back. And, and I, you know, I'm sure that they are doing their job to the, to the best of their ability. It's just a really hard job. It's a much harder job than being on the football committee. And if you're trying to determine the teams that get in, the teams that get in the playoff, I understand the football committee has to rank every week, and that's challenging, and, and you're determining the, the major bowls, and that's hard. But the big thing that people are judging you on is those four teams, and I think that's inherently an easier exercise than, than what the basketball committee goes through. we got time for one phone call here. Uh, Chris and Muhammad, uh, what do you got for Dave, Chris? Hi, guys. Yeah, quick question for all three of you guys. Who would you be uh, your Big Ten Coach of the Year and Big Ten Player of the Year? Thanks, guys. Thanks, Chris. Well, Chris, I I, uh, I kind of like the choices that were made, yep. I would say. Um, I, I thought Kata Bates-Diop consistently had the best year of, of anyone in the league. Um, obviously, a Central Illinois kid. And uh, just, you know, you, you think about why things fell apart for Ohio State last year and Thad Mata's last year. And um, I think Kata Pates-Diop's injury was a huge part of that. So he didn't necessarily finish up the year great, but I still thought he was the best player in the league. And, and I thought Chris Holtman with the turnaround was fabulous. I mean, to, to get that team to buy in in the way that they did with with really pretty limited pieces. I mean, other than getting Bates-Diop back, they didn't have a huge number of additions from last year. Uh, you know, Caleb Wesson was a significant one. But, I mean, you know, you're, with all due respect to Andrew Dockich, I mean, you're talking about a kid who scored you know, like 120 points in three years at Michigan, and you add him and he becomes a key piece of your team. That's pretty impressive coaching. You know, I'd say for the first three months it was Holtman. The last month, I mean, that beeline just amazes oh. me every year. So I give it to yep. – I, I would go with Holtman all along, but I think Beeline uh, proved himself once again as just a superior tactician and, and a guy that gets his players playing the best to, when it really counts. 
What do you think, uh, Michael? Yeah, I would agree. I think uh, Beeline somehow gets it done. I mean, back-to-back Big Ten tournament championships, four games in four days. And, Dave, as you know, being there and seeing and being around the teams every year, that's almost impossible to do. And I, I can't remember the last time it happened uh, where a team won four games in four days before Michigan. It's several years ago, but it's so hard it to do. It was Iowa, and it was, it was 2001, Michael. Iowa, oh, well. Steve Alford. So, yeah, I mean, it's a long so – th- so think about it. Put it in perspective. We had had 19 Big Ten tournaments before last year. It happened once, and now Michigan's done it twice in two years. Amazing. And John Beeline. I, I, I agree with the Holtman and Kata Bates-Diot, but, again, I'm with Lauren, too, that John Beeline is just – and he's not doing it with guys that are highly sought after on the recruiting market. He's doing it with guys – he just – Yeah, I mean, right. A, a couple exceptions, but, yes, yes, I would agree with you. Sure. Um, you know, he's, he does it with kind of low four-star guys and – some three-star guys, some guys that we never saw play before they got to campus. I mean, Abdul Rahman, he never saw in person during oh, wow. recruiting. And you look at what he turns into. Couldn't see pretty, too much of uh, couldn't see too much of his center either. Wagner was in Berlin. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. no. What he did with with Wagner, he got a tip from I don't know how well you guys remember that West Virginia team with Pitznagel and those guys that made the deep run. But there yeah. was a player on that team named Joseph Erbear, who was German. And Airbear gave him a tip on Wagner, and he really? went to Berlin kind of surreptitiously, not wearing a lot of Michigan gear or anything, just kind of tried to fly under the radar, watched him play uh, for a day, and, and offered him a scholarship. Yeah, I mean, it's, it is, it's pretty remarkable. Uh, and the other thing that I think is cool about Beeline, guys, is, I mean, he's four years as a head coach now. He's, of course, never been an assistant. And yet he's really changed. I mean, he was talking to us on Sunday on the set, you know, obviously, the big story with Michigan this year is how much better their defense is. And it, he was kind of explaining that you know Luke Yaklich, who was at Illinois State, is essentially his defensive coordinator now. And it was Billy Donlin before that who was there for a year and, and then left for uh, a similar job at Northwestern, but, but is also known as a defensive specialist. And he basically said in the last two years, he has turned the defense over to Billy and Luke. And just said, you guys focus on that. I'll focus on offense, and and we'll get this thing right defensively. And, and they have; they've improved by leaps and bounds. So, how many of us, forty years into our career, would dramatically change what we're doing? It's, it's pretty impressive. Definitely is. Well, Dave, before we get you out of here, I, mean, I have to ask a loaded question before you go: paying players, Lauren, <laughs> paying players. <laughs> Can that be done? You know, I've talked about it a few different times, as I have a lot of other people, just maybe letting them benefit off their likeness through jersey sales and video games and the like. But it's such a difficult issue, and you don't have to break it down in deep detail, but just what are your, your opinions on that situation? Yeah, I mean, obviously we could go on for a long time on sure. this, guys. Um, I don't believe that we should get to a point in college athletics where we are sitting down and negotiating a contract with each individual player every year. That just doesn't make sense to me, and and I think that there are there should be alternatives. Kids for whom the money is everything. There should be a better minor league, both in football and basketball. Uh, we need to include everyone at every level um, because it starts in high school. Certainly, with basketball, it starts with the the AAU teams and the NBA uh, saying we can't have you know kids come in straight out of high school they're kind of restricting the flow there. And, and so I think there needs to be a viable alternative to kids for whom the, the money is everything. Um, because I do think the education's worth something. I mean, that scholarship, but you know, a college degree is worth a million dollars of added salary on average over your lifetime. Like that is not an insignificant amount of money. 
And and I think the way that, that kind of we frame it, where people say, well, they're not getting anything, that that is something. Uh, on the other hand, I understand there's a lot of money on this enter- in this enterprise, and so like the notion of jersey sales, like why can't that go into some sort of a fund for a kid for you know for when they graduate that that they can have. Um, I've certainly you know the the scale of what's considered a scholarship has changed dramatically through the years. You guys know I wrote a history of, of the I wrote a book on the early history of college football, and people were appalled at the notion of scholarships in the 30s that that was paying players. And that line has gradually moved. So can we move it more? We have done that and and provided a stipend for players, for instance. Could that stipend be more? Sure. I don't see why not. I just think it needs to be uniform among players, I, I, I guess, other than jersey sales and that type of thing. This notion of let's sit down, let's negotiate a contract. I don't know. It doesn't sit great with me, but, but you know, I understand there are a lot of people who feel the opposite way. Hey, Dave, thank you very much thank for you, being Dave. on with us. We really appreciate it. Always my pleasure. Thanks, Lauren. Thanks, Michael. Really good to talk to you guys, and have a good weekend. Yep, I'm Thank glad you. you're doing better, Dave. Thank you. Really appreciate that. Not a problem. That is Dave Revson of the Big Ten Network joining us here on Saturday Sports Talk on DWS. Uh, always good to have him on the program. Been a while, and uh, good to see he's getting healthier and healthier. Vertigo, I've I've not experienced that, but I've heard a lot of bad things about Vertigo, and, and the Bell's palsy thing isn't good either. But uh, Dave is doing well, and uh, we saw him last week, plenty of coverage of the Big Ten Network. Let's take a, a quick phone call here. JT and Alito. JT, how are you this morning? Hey, I'm, I'm doing great. I was going to ask uh, Dave a trivia question. Sorry, we had, we had to get him. To, we had him on here for a while, so we had no, to let go. Sorry fine. about that. I was going to ask him because he would know. He would know. He would know the answer. Uh, the college basketball capital of Illinois is where now? College basketball capital of Illinois. Yes, come on, Lauren. You would know this. Chicago Loyola, I guess. No. Okay. Rock I- Rock Island. Okay. Why? Because Augustana College is one win away from advancing to the Final Four at Division Three for a third time in four years. There you go. Oh, yeah. That's, that's <laughs> hey, sustained I, success. And the, question, the, the question I have, a couple questions, and by the way, I saw Ethan Happ. He was at the Augustana game last night. One of his friends plays on that team. So what about the possibility of a fifth-year Grad transfer in half. <laughs> home to we'll take him. We'll definitely take him. His uh, favorite college basketball team, I'm told, was the Darren Williams D. Brown mm-hmm. team growing up. But here's the speculation and conjecture question I have: With all things being equal, if Half and Kata Bates Diop stayed in their home state and played at Illinois, where would we where would we be? position-wise, in the Big Ten, and where would we be ranked nationally, do you think? And I'll hang up and listen. Thanks, JT. <sighs> um, well, we'd probably Illinois, be, we'd be qualified for the NCAA, I think. Here, here, I don't make very many guarantees because I'm usually wrong when I do. Uh, there is no doubt Illinois would not have missed anywhere close to five straight NCAA tournaments. This was the fifth straight um, Kata Bates, yeah, but he did not grow up in uh, Bloomington normal area. He but he was playing there in his high school career, but he did not grow up there. I forgot what he where he was from originally. Uh, so it's not there was a strong allegiance to the state of Illinois. Still hurt that he left the state, went to Ohio State, and had a, a a really great season. Got hurt last year, had a decent freshman season, but he had a really great season. But if I think you have Hap and Kata Bates Diop on the same team this year with Trent Frazier and Laron Black. I think they're top. I think they're 
easily ahead of Nebraska because they beat Nebraska a second time because they almost beat. Oh, I think they'd be. Yeah, I agree with that. I think I, they're. Tough. I just don't think they wouldn't be as good as Michigan State. Michigan no. State's got those kind of players at every position almost. No, yeah, I think. Um, I think Illinois is third in the Big Ten, third or fourth in the Big Ten this year. Uh, rankings, it's that's difficult in terms of the top twenty-five. That's I, I think probably top fifteen in the country, top number three in the Big Ten, and probably three to four seed in the in the NCAA tournament. The interesting thing about those two guys is they were gone so early. Yeah, they were recruited yeah. by Wisconsin and by Ohio State so early, almost before Illinois could, you know, could get in the picture. Yeah, that's that's really true. I mean, Illinois was at the time Illinois really. I mean, Ethan Happ. I, I saw Robert Rosenthal say this a couple of weeks ago on Twitter. Someone mentioned him along the list of players that have left the state, and uh, Robert said when he committed to Wisconsin, Happ, people went, "Who?" And I didn't because I don't really remember. Sure. Yeah, I, I didn't really remember when he committed to Wisconsin because he committed so early, so he was never even really on my radar, and I don't cover recruiting as closely as some of the other guys do. Um, but he is, he's had a great career. I, as far as him transferring, I, I Wisconsin had a really strong finish to the season, unless he's unhappy there. Oh, they're not. He, they, there's no way that's happening. I mean, I haven't heard anything no, no, like no. that, and I haven't asked anybody yet that who would know. No, no. That's, that, that's not likely. Well, plenty of uh, time for your phone calls and texts. The better question is, are those two guys going to turn pro? I would think Bates Diop is going to turn yeah. pro, but he's not a he's not a top sixteen uh, in the mock draft, and Ethan Happ is not high either. Ethan Happ's game might not translate to the NBA. You see that a lot. He's a post up guy. He can't shoot free throws. You know, I've been thinking about a lot the last couple of days because I've been looking uh, as a Bulls fan who the Bulls if they get a top lottery pick who they should take, and DeAndre Ayton is having an, an unbelievable year. Had another sensational game last night. But a guy I remember not that long ago for K-State, Michael Beasley, was in more than a double-double machine. He had just 40 points and 20 rebounds so many times his one year in college, and he was a bad NBA player. And it's just sometimes those guys have just amazing numbers in college and they at that at that particular well, as position. You saw, as you saw with Mark Smith, what worked in high school didn't work in college, and what you're seeing uh -huh. with other guys is what yep. you see in college doesn't always work in the NBA. I don't know if, if Hap... I'm not saying – I think he's a terrific player, yeah. but I just don't think that his post-up game, he's not that big, he's not that strong. Um, and it, it's a it's a guard-oriented game, isn't it? It's a playmaker's game. It definitely is. Well, if you're just joining us, just waking up, which I might have been doing if I'm hosting Saturday Sports Talk every week, Kevin Ollie has been fired at UConn, went 127-79 and in six seasons as a UConn head coach, won the national championship just four years ago, but played the tournament just once in the last four years. However – uh, NCAA, uh, UConn announced due to the NCAA investigation, he's been fired for a cause. Um, they, as Lauren said at the top of the show today, um, they know something, most likely the, the school officials, they know something over at UConn to make that decision to fire him this morning. Of course, Kevin Stallings was fired earlier this week, uh, so we'll have to see what happens. There's a lot of coaching changes coming up, and Missouri senior forward Jordan Barnett was arrested this morning. Couldn't drive in a, was failure to drive in a single lane, a suspicion of driving while intoxicated, according to Dick Gabe DeArmond, uh, where it covers Missouri for rivals. So that's a, a big blow to Missouri if he doesn't play in the NCAA tournament. You realize first you've done an hour in this show and haven't brought up uh, Tiger Woods. Yeah, and we could do that later. Yeah, let's <laughs> let's talk about Tiger Woods Can later you in the program. That? Yeah, we I got mean that's all they're talking about on TV these days. Oh my goodness, the, the odds for the Masters went from a hundred to one to ten to one. Now he's at ten to one odds and for the, to win the Masters. Let's take let's take a break here. We'll come back. We got plenty more Illini basketball coverage, uh, Leron Black coverage, and. 
college basketball tournaments. Conference tournaments this weekend. Selection Sunday is tomorrow. Coming up at 10.30, Joey Bose is going uh, – well, we'll hear from Joey Bose. Lauren and I got a chance to sit down with him earlier this week. All that's coming up less than an hour to go. Probably not enough time on today's show. Your text and calls as well here on Saturday Sports Talk on DWS. It would mean an awful lot to to our players to be able to to uh, win three uh, uh, without Doak, uh, but but we got to play a lot better than we did tonight. And that's no disrespect to K State, but they were so shorthanded. We we didn't take advantage of the opportunity like we should have. You can't plan for Barry going down in the on the first play, um, and you know he got poked in the eye and had very little vision. There was just he wanted to play. He kept saying I'm good, and I held up how many figures, and he didn't know. Welcome back to Sports Talk here on DWS. Michael Kaiser, Lauren Tate with you. That was Bill Self and Bruce Weber after the game last night. Kansas beat the matchup of the two former Illini coaches. Kansas beat Kansas State 83-67 in a game that in parts was a much closer than that. In the second half, Kansas State was only down by two, down by five at one point in the first half. And that's without two of their best players. You just heard there, Barry Brown, in the first minute plus of the game, got hit in the eye really hard. His right eye did not return to the game. And then Dean Wade got a foot injury on Thursday. They're two leading scorers. You lose two leading scorers going up against a team like Kansas. You normally just get run out of the gym. But Kansas State fought and fought and just didn't have any enough to stay with them the whole game. I read where that's a 10-0 record for Kansas against Kansas State in the tournament. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not so – I mean – And it was a pretty clear-cut win, of course, as you say. Uh, players are missing, but Kansas always seems to come out <laughs> regardless. I shouldn't say always. They, they finished the season on a terrible note, but uh, they bounced back, beat Oklahoma State the third time they played them. And uh, I don't know. They're just one of uh, – Dozens of teams in this in the, in the NCAA tournament that have a chance. Really, this thing's going to be wild. Kansas, the number one seed right now, uh, according to Joe Lenardi, the bracketologist. If Kansas wins today, they probably solidify that the Big Ten, Big Twelve championship is today. There are four of the Power Five conference title games today. Of course, the Big Ten conference title game was last week. North Carolina plays Virginia, the number one team in the country. West Virginia plays Kansas. Should be an interesting matchup. Providence upset Xavier last night, number three in the country. Takes on Villanova, who blew out Butler. And USC takes on DeAndre Ayton, Alonzo Trier, and, and Arizona. Should be an interesting matchup there as well. And again, right now, uh, only four, according to Joe Lenardi, Lenardi, only four Big Ten teams are going to make the NCAA tournament, which we've been saying, and a lot of other people have been saying since December. Uh, and that's the way it's going to work out. Once and, that RPI gets set, once you have your pre-conference games, you can't move up on the RPI very much in your conference by beating other conference teams. If, you, if you're in a bad conference, you're, you're going to yep. keep playing bad teams. Yep. And that's what it amounts to. And the problem Nebraska had is there's such a difference in the Big Ten. And as, as uh, Resin pointed out, they played the, the toughest teams on the road and didn't play them at home. It's almost unfair. You say, well, they didn't beat any quadrant ones. Well, there's only four quadrant runs in there, and three of them you had to play on the road. Which and is you're not going to win at Michigan State. I mean, you're a good good basketball team, Nebraska. You're not going to win at Michigan State. You're probably not going to win at uh, Purdue. And Ohio State. Yeah, well, that's, that's the way it goes. Yeah. I mean, uh, people say, well, Rutgers, you know, should have beat Michigan State at Michigan State. Still, it's really hard to win in East Lansing when Michigan State is this loaded. Did they lose home games? Yeah, they've lost home games. Michigan State has struggled at times. 
but it's really hard to win in the Breslin Center. The Illini have had some success, but not when Michigan State is as loaded as they are. Uh, so plenty of uh, games, other games going on around the country today, plenty of games yesterday. It's a great time of year. Selection Sunday is tomorrow. Doing it differently this year. A lot of people are not happy about that. We'll break that down later in the show. We'll also talk some hockey coming up and some text messages to get to. So stay with us. This is Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS. Welcome back to Sports Talk here on DWS. Michael Kaiser, Lauren Tate with you. Thanks for joining us on this Saturday morning, the day ahead of Selection Sunday. That was Josh Whitman, University of Illinois Athletic Director on the potential of hockey being added to Division One sport here at Illinois. Money, of course, is needed. That's the, they, the feasibility study told them what the university officials already suspected, already kind of knew that there is heavy interest in having hockey as a Division One sport in the state. There are no uh, collegiate Division One teams in the state of Illinois. So Josh Whitman, uh, looking for donors, has been looking for donors for some time. Um, there is no timeline right now in terms of, you know, three years from now this is going to happen, like Josh just said, because they need to get a commitment of at least $50 million around that that number to even start this, Lauren. And as you as you look at this, if they're able to get that kind of money, then they're going to do it. But it's a matter of whether uh, the university can get that kind of money and committed. Because Josh has said many times, not going to pull money away from other sports that need the facility upgrades. I'm not going to do that. I can't look at those coaches and get them all in a room and go, listen, I know you guys need facility upgrades, and I'm going to take money away from what I could use for you and make get hockey. He said I'm, it's going to have to be dedicated hockey money. There might be moneyed people interested in gymnastics, wrestling, and, and volleyball who would help in that regard too, by the way, because they're talking about you're talking about five teams, two, two gymnastics teams, wrestling, volleyball, and hockey. In one building? I mean, come on, can you really do that? I mean, how, ma- how many floors does this building have to have, or how are they going ha- to do it? What about the extra sheets of, heist that, uh, of ice that uh, Peter Fox talked about? How big is this building? And you've got to have ice down, and then when you compete in these other sports, you've got to cover the ice. And how do you do that with two gymnastics teams, a wrestling team, a volleyball team, and all p- compete in the winter along with hockey? These are all winter sports. Yeah. Man, and you're taking five teams off campus? That's never been done. Off campus, uh, I mean, they're going to have to lease the place? I mean, there are so many questions here that uh, I can't even be- begin to get in. How do, how do you arrange for parking if, if uh, as I'm told, if it costs $25,000 uh, for a single parking place in a, in a um, multiple-story uh, structure? If you had 500 parking spots, and that's a lot, that's over $12 million just for the parking <laughs> And uh, that would surely be in addition to the 50 that you need to put to, to put in hockey. I mean, there, this thing is just beginning. I mean, I mean, oh yeah, I have so many questions I can't even tell you. Should have asked Josh those questions. Well, I, I, I know think I those, those, those are great. Fault. Those are great questions that I think that. But at the same time, here, Lauren, like, there's no reason to pepper Josh with all no, of those questions right now right. because if they don't it's, get the money, none of those questions matter. Right. And but the, here's the other thing. How do you get money from somebody? Let's say you want to get $20 million from a guy that might be able to do it. You've got to have the architectural drawings. Therefore, you have to have some idea right now how you're going to put this building together. You well, can't go up to somebody and say, hey, we've got this idea, and we're going to have a building. He wants to know what that building's looked like. You, you remember how they all, everything that they've done, they have architectural drawings in advance before they get the money. 
Yeah, and I think the this project, uh, Hans Grotolution is the developer on this project over at the MTD Illinois Terminal Building just down the street from us, not that far away from here. That project was – they already had a big news conference last summer on that project. Mm-hmm. The university was not there. The university was not involved in that news conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're the ones that uh, that group threw out that, hey, you guys could have hockey here. If you get hockey, you could have it here. They're wanting to do that project even if that facility is not built. They're wanting to do a hotel right there and all kinds of things. And thus, I can't remember if there was drawings at that at that news conference or not because I was I was there and it was in black in July. I believe there were some kind of drawings, but there wasn't a massive breakdown of what the building's going to look like because hockey wasn't. If hockey wasn't going to come from the university, then I then I don't think they were going to build that building. I'm going off complete memory here, but so I don't think there was conceptual drawings to a T. On, on what that building would be. Well, you're going like. to have to have some kind of conceptual drawings. If I'm a wrestling guy and I want to give you a million bucks because I love wrestling, how do, how do you work wrestling into this whole operation? How do you do that? Who gets the floor on Friday, Saturday? I mean, uh, you know, uh, the gymnasts, the, the men and, gy- and women gymnasts need uh, a place to compete, and they're yep. going to be on that same floor. It's, it's going to be complicated as the very devil. Yeah, I think it, depending on how the building is laid out and the number of floors and how big it is and, and the kind of space you have, then I, I think those are legitimate questions. And I, I think that because that information is not out there right now, we don't have answers to those questions because we just don't know. I don't know if the university has dove that far into it right now because they don't even know if they're going to get the money. But maybe they have. I don't know. Well, we don't know that. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. The other thing is that Peter Fox is still likes the idea of building the uh, arena with an extra sets of ice uh, next to the I Hotel, which would be very convenient from a parking. So you won't have to worry about parking. You got the assembly hall. You got the State Farm Center yep. right there, and uh, and the big parking lots, which would be a huge advantage. Now the big advantage to moving downtown, obviously, is what it would mean to the city. Can you, I oh. mean the, the city has already come alive? on weekends, uh, you know, with the restaurants and everything that they have down here, and it's, it's just wonderful. And this would make it better. And I think from that standpoint, wh- I think the city would just be tickled to death to have uh, an, another f- four or five sports competing down there because y- you've got to have food before and maybe you have drinks after, you know. And, and you could park someplace and, and leave your car parked the whole time. You could go to dinner and, and go to the, the, the event and then go – to the bars and then get you know go home at eleven o'clock and never have to move your car. That's exactly what Josh said. I mean, what you just summarized a nearly two minute clip from Josh on the, the it's social experience is what it would be if Terrific. it's downtown. I mean, the fact that you would never have to drive your car. You can go to the hockey, have a good time. You can go to the bars. You can go to the restaurants and have a great time. Like you know, I've been in cities where like the Final Four. Like if you if you're in the right city for the Final Four, like Indianapolis, I've gone oh, yeah. to. The, I mean, that's what you love about Indianapolis. Yeah, I went to St. Louis for the Final Four back in 2005. It's the last time it was there, and everything is so was so spread out. But in Indy, there everything is so tight there. I, I was in Atlanta about five years ago for the Final Four. Everything is so spread out. You know, like I've heard San Antonio is great, but Indianapolis, everything is right there. Everything's within walking distance. When you're having events like that, and you could just walk everywhere and leave your car alone for two days if you want. I mean, that's just great. You, you can't beat that, and I, I think that. I understand Peter Fox has a great a great plan too, and the the parking thing. Yes, you know, I, I think they're. I, I to me they're almost equal, but I see which way the, the university is leaning. Yeah, I, because I think because of the social social aspect, I think it wins, and I think they're wanting to maybe expand the campus footprint a but, little bit. But, do you know when 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 an, an athletic team has competed uh, through a lease? 
as opposed to having the property themselves. University doesn't own State Farm Center, do they? Oh yeah. What do you mean? Well, they, they 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 don't they they play games there, but I don't like the. It's a totally separate deal. They have when they have concerts and stuff there. Like they. Who, who do you think is running the but State like, Farm Center? The well, athletic department. They took it but, over with Gunther. But if they make the NIT and there's a concert schedule, it's too bad. They don't get to play the NIT there. Well, of course, if there's yeah. something already scheduled. Yeah, I, mean, I know. That's what I mean. So, like, they're competing there. So, it may not be no, a lease I mean, situation. you're going to have the same thing in any place. You're, anytime yeah. you have a building, you're going to have events there. But if, like, if like the Cole Center, I doubt the Badgers have to compete with, with things like that. I think the Badgers, and of course, well, they, if they If they schedule Willie Nelson in there. And, well, it's different, and, yeah. But what, I mean, what I'm getting at is that if, if it's a strict basketball arena and that they have concerts in there after basketball season, then you're not running into that. Now, Illinois doesn't want to make the NIT. The Illinois wants to make the NCAA tournament. But if you – if you don't make the NCAA tournament, you don't want to play road NIT games you can play here, is what I'm saying. You want to play – Illinois had to play at Stony Brook. Is that a concern for you? Well, no, because I don't play in the NIT. But what I'm saying is that you, if you have a strictly basketball arena that's yours, you can run it. So I don't think this is a whole lot different. You don't think they have anything else in the Cole Center? Maybe they Oh, do. they probably do. I'm sure they do. But I'm, well, I'm, you I'm, have I don't, to schedule things, don't you? But what I'm saying is, like, it, I don't think this is going to be a whole lot different in terms of, yes, I don't think they lease State Farm Center. There, the, uh, the whole – well, I'm getting back to this new building. If they have it, they're, they're going to have uh, youth hockey in there. Mm-hmm. They're going to have events yeah. in there. It's a 6,000, 5,000 to 6,000 seat place. It's ideal for all kinds of uh, concerts and events. It'll be used – Constantly, yep. I mean it's it, it's a much smaller, more probably more intimate than the State Farm Center would be for most events. Oh, uh, yeah, much about almost ten thousand seat difference there. All right, uh, well, we're going to be back here. Uh, we got uh, Joey Bose to get to as well. Pl- several text messages to get to. Have not a chance to read very many of those today as well. Stay with us. This is Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS. <laughs> Welcome back to Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS. Michael Kaiser, Lauren Tate with you. A couple of text messages to get to before we take another time out and get to Joey Bose. 785 text on the Castle Heating and Cooling text line. Does the hockey gymnastics wrestling facility have to be downtown? No, it does not. There's an, uh, The university concurs with the report and the study that is the best option out of Peter Fox's option, which is near the State Farm Center near Research Park. Another text to get to, Michigan State should get a one seed. Purdue and Michigan should get the two seeds. OSU should be a three seed. Which Big Ten team has the best chance at winning the tournament? Maybe Michigan State, I I would say. But Michigan State or Purdue, in my opinion, are the best shots to make the Final Four. Bill text in the Big Ten rust while the others get into tournament mode. On another subject, the Cubs and the Cards and others bid over $23 million a year for Hayward. He is tall, athletic, is a great fielder, has a rifle arm. Did anyone notice that he swings like a right-hander trying to get hit? hit left-handed but isn't a switch hitter not a very good hitter period no matter which how he swings he's not a very good hitter at all since he's been with the cubs great arm though all right well i'll be back with a uh, joy bose get his thoughts on how the offseason has gone so far for the alana football team strength and conditioning coach works with the players a lot during the offseason more so than the coaches can that's coming up next here on dws everyone knows that experience counts in the race for champaign county clerk and matt grandoni has that experience Matt Grandoni has worked in the county clerk's office, devoting his time doing exactly what voters count on, overseeing elections, training election judges, protecting voters' rights, watching over our elections to help assure they are secure and fair. This is Champaign County Clerk Gordy Holton. Matt Grandoni has worked in our office for the past four years as our director of training. 
if you've appreciated the increased levels of service provided by our office, collaborating with local governments, expanding everyone's equal access to early and by-mail voting, ensuring the accuracy and integrity of our elections, and increasing efficiencies through the better use of technology, please recognize that every initiative taken by our office in recent years has been improved by Matt's involvement. Matt Grandoni, Republican candidate for Champaign County Clerk. Because experience counts. Paid for by friends of Matt Grandoni. A few years ago, when it came to my son, my biggest worry was that he'd get hurt playing soccer. Then they found the tumor in his brain. He was five. Our doctor recommended proton therapy, so we went to Northwestern Medicine Chicago Proton Center. At the time, I had no idea what proton therapy was or just how lucky we were to have this treatment nearby. Proton therapy is a precise form of radiation treatment that targets the tumor. For many pediatric brain cancer patients, it can minimize the damage to surrounding healthy tissue and organs and potentially limit the side effects of treatment on a child's growth and development. It's crazy to think how close I was to losing my son. And now I'm back to worrying about him getting hurt on the soccer field. What? A mom's got to worry about something. Northwestern Medicine Chicago Proton Center is proud to be the only proton therapy treatment center of its kind in Illinois. Better precision, better recovery, better treatments. Go to chicagoprotoncenter.com for more information. You work hard to recruit the best talent for your business, so you know today's candidates want perks they can enjoy every day. Give them the healthy, active office culture they're looking for with Veridesk Standing Desk Solutions. The new Veridesk ProDesk 60 Electric is a commercial-grade electric standing desk that lets you sit or stand with the touch of a button, and it assembles in under five minutes. To learn more about the ProDesk 60 Electric, visit veridesk.com radio. That's V-A-R-I-Desk.com slash radio. Maybe it's not your first rodeo, but it will be your favorite. Boot Barn wants to send you and a guest to Houston to catch country superstar Brad Paisley in concert and meet him backstage. And the memory of a day like today. Round trip airfare and hotel included. To enter, text Boot Barn to 64636. That's B-O-O-T-B-A-R-N to 64636. Standard text rates apply. Just another American Saturday night. Brad, Pais- Brad Paisley in concert, powered by your friends at Boot Barn. This is Jen Shelby inviting you to visit Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram and Ford of Hoopston for the small town difference. We do things differently in a small town where every customer matters. I could hire the guy with the great voice again to tell you that we have thousands in savings on America's favorite Ford F-150 and huge rebates on Ram truck. And we're kicking off spring clearance with savings on all Jeep models that you won't want to miss. Instead, I'll tell you that your buying experience will be better because the owners are there. We have the same rebates as every other dealership in the state, but in Hoopston, we know your name. We've put a lifetime powertrain warranty on every new vehicle in stock and every qualifying pre-owned model. If we don't have it, we will order it or find you any vehicle you want. Where else will the owner drive your vehicle in for service? Rick Martinez and I are not your average car dealers. So come to Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram and Ford of Hoopston where your business matters. Near the corner of Routes 1 and 9 in Hoopston or HoopstonChrysler.com and FordofHoopston.com. People have asked us that, and I, I don't know that we've put out there a firm number. Welcome back on, to Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS. Michael Kaiser, Lauren Tate with you. We're talking with uh, University of Illinois football head strength and conditioning coach Joey Bose. Joey, uh, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm happy to be here. Well, how's the offseason gone for you? You're the one since the season end that gets to spend the most time with the players, uh, whether they're healthy or not healthy, but uh, you're the guy. 
It's been really good. You know, I'm excited. We just started spring ball yesterday. I'm excited about the progress we've made and, and where we're going and excited to see these guys flying around on the field uh, in the next month or so. Early early, early morning practices. Um, what do you think of them and what, what have the players been thinking of them? As we're just getting started into this, but uh, kind of how's that going? What, what do they think about it? You know, yesterday was our first day. Today we, we had a lift this morning. Uh, the, the reviews from the players are positive. Guys seem to like it. Uh, I like it because you get them when they're fresh in the morning, get them in, uh, kind of start their day off on the right note. Now we'll see over a long period of time what it does from a fatigue standpoint uh, for our football team. But so far it's been really good, and I'm interested to see how it progresses uh, week, week two, week three, week four down the road. Well, how does weight training change once they start practicing? And, of course, you're practicing like every other day. Uh, tell me how that works for you. So the, the volume of, of training will go down. Um, so the frequency of how much we lift. This first week, we're going to lift three times a week. We lift Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Next week, we only get two times on, Thursday, or on Tuesday and Thursday. Um, so the amount of times I see them goes down. Uh, how it changes is we're trying to keep our guys as healthy and as fresh as we can for practice, but yet maintain our strength levels um, throughout spring. Uh, so in here, the intensity still stays high, but the volume comes down. So uh, the reps that we're doing won't be in the, the 10, the 8 range. They'll be more in the 5 to the 3 range, uh, some of the movements that we do. Um, so those are just some of the uh, slight adjustments we do. And then obviously, as we bring these guys in, making sure um, that the weight training matches up with the, the intensity of practice that the, these guys are getting into. Now, you had a lot of freshmen on this team during the football season. You've seen them a little more now. How? Just give us an idea how much change you see since the guys came in. Now they're they're still freshmen, yeah. but they'll be sophomores when they're playing in the, in the fall. How, how much change have you seen? We've seen a lot of change with those guys um, from a maturity standpoint. We've seen a big change from a, how they their demeanor, how they they approach not only training but meetings and practice and those sort of things. They got a year under their belt. A lot of those guys played as true freshmen, so there's nothing like game experience. Uh, and uh, from a fortunate standpoint, you know we're very fortunate. A lot of those guys played, so they should be a lot better uh, come their sophomore seasons. From a strength training perspective. They've now really got uh, some development time. They've had six weeks here before spring ball that they've had uh, and some of that development time, whereas in season when they're playing a lot, there's not a lot of time for true strength training development. So uh, we've seen some big jumps with a lot of those guys in this first six weeks. Yeah, I want to ask you about the defensive backs because I remember Hobbs was uh, slow getting started last year. Now you've had a chance to work with him. you got Williams. you got Adams. These are guys that all started last year. Where are they now? And weight-wise, are you seeing some gains that way? Yeah, Nate Hobbs in particular, you know, he came in. He was a really um, dynamic guy. We could tell right from the jump, movement-wise. Uh, and, and Nate was on a great course, and then Nate got hit with mono. And that really, really hampered him from a weight standpoint. He's now back to right around 190 pounds. So he's put a lot of that weight back on. Um, so he's made a lot of progress this offseason and in through the end of last season. Um, a guy like Bennett Williams has made big strides. Same thing. A lot of those guys got not only propelled into playing, but into playing big roles. Some of those guys were starters, and if not starters, were playing a lot of snaps during the fall. Um, and so they have now had a true six weeks of development in the weight room, and we're starting to see some big strides with those guys.
Joey Bose with us on Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS. Joey, you mentioned the uh, guys like Nate Hobbs, who wasn't here very long. How did that, in, before he got the mono, how did that impact him playing this year? He played a lot, um, but had almost no training camp because of the mono. How did that impact his ability to just even be out there and as productive as he could have been if he didn't get mono? Yeah, Nate's a special guy. Nate was, you know, he came in, I think he was in that low 170 range, and you started to see Nate, he put on weight. He was about, uh, you know, 188 pounds right before that mono hit, and then he lost about 20 or so with, with that mono. And um, from a lack of training camp, from a lack of strength training, uh, he gets propelled into playing a lot of football for us. I think uh, Nate did a really good job for us in season, but I think um, it would have been even better if he would have had a little bit more time to develop on the front end. Guys like uh, Tony Adams as well, Ricky Smalling. Ricky Smalling uh, missed some time over the summer as well. Where is he at right now? Ricky's uh, Ricky's got a very high ceiling. I like Ricky Smalling. Ricky uh, is starting to show us some things in the weight room uh, that that tell you that that Rick's ceiling is very very high. Uh, he doesn't even know how strong or how dynamic he could be because uh, we're just kind of touching the. You know, scratching the surface of, of what Ricky Smalling could be. Uh, I'm going to ask you about a couple guys that might not be practicing this spring. Uh, Epstein, number one. Uh, tell us as much as you can about his status. And then I want you to bring us up to date on Bradarian Lowe, who last year was really late getting into the season and couldn't possibly have been in the kind of shape that you want him to be in as, as a freshman. Talk about those two guys. Yeah, we'll, we'll start with Mike. Mike's uh, a foot is healing really well. Mike is back in a run progression now. So um, he had the six weeks of, of strength training and really took advantage of that. He's, he's really getting stronger in the weight room. Um, we were cautious with the foot and how long, how long uh, gap we were going to give him to rest that foot. He's now started. This is week two of his running progression, and he's been – uh, so far, really, really good. I'm excited where Mike Epstein is right now and, and where he will be when we get to that uh, start of the summertime. And, and then Lowe? Vidarian Lowe is on my top five guys' biggest change so far really? from last season. Uh, he's a guy that I, I tell Coach Smith, you know, this guy's really starting to uh, stand out. He's really starting to uh, improve and show us some things, not only from a – uh, strength development standpoint, but from a movement standpoint, from a uh, just kind of a everyday how he handles his business. He's made a huge stride um, from the end of last season to today. Uh, I'm very excited for, for Darian and, and, and what the future holds for him. That was kind of one of the, one of the things I had for you. He was the most improved guy, most standout guy since the offseason. And who else besides uh, Vidarian is really standing out to you right now that has put on a, a, worked really hard this offseason? You know, it's it's hard to just point out one guy because there's a handful of guys that have done a tremendous job. Uh, the work ethic and, and the dedication that these guys have shown over this, the first six weeks here in the offseason has been tremendous. Uh, guys like Bobby Roundtree uh, has made huge strides. Vidarian Lowe. Um, Delshawn Phillips has made some big steps. Those those uh, DBs we talked about, Tony Adams, Nate Hobbs, Bennett Williams are a handful on defense. Um, Alex Polchewski, uh, he's one of my guys that I say, hey, keep an eye on this guy because he 
strength development wise is starting to come along and when he gets a little bit stronger and puts on a little bit of size I think he's going to be a very very special player for us in the future um, newcomers Jakari Norwood is a guy I would keep an eye on this spring he's a guy that has flashed these first six weeks um, in the weight room but really movement wise in our speed work and our agility sessions uh, he's done some things that I think he's, he's going to be a very good player for us in the future. And then, like we talked about, Ricky Smallings, Mikey Dudix is always very, very consistent player for us. Those are just a handful of guys that have done a good job. Um, but like I said, it's been a good six weeks. Now I'm excited to see these guys uh, do what they came here to do, play football. Uh, Gay and Dorsey are a couple guys that showed great talent, but are, I would say, slightly undersized for their positions, defensive end and tight end. How have they come along, and are they going to be able to put on some weight? They both those guys ha have put on some weight this off season, and and uh, both of them are are uh, you know lean guys, uh, fast guys, twitchy guys um, that we have focused a lot on trying to put some size on those guys. A guy like Isaiah Gay is very very strong. Uh, lower body wise. Uh, he's one of the better squatters on the team. He's a 600 pound squat guy. Um, he, he's, he's a guy who's dynamic off the edge for us. But like you said, played last year uh, undersized. He needs to be able to hold up in the run game for us. So we're trying to get him to that 230, 235 range. Uh, and then same thing with Dorsey. You saw Dorsey do some special things in the past game last year, um, but not so much inline tight end. So we're trying to add some size and some strength to him in this offseason. Joey, when it comes to players when they get here as freshmen, um, there was a need, obviously, last year to play in, in terms of a talent level and a variety of reasons. Is your preference as a strength and conditioning coach to work with these guys for a while first, maybe even redshirt on a majority of them before they play, or do you really have a preference uh, in terms of how you get guys? Uh, it's, a, it's kind of a, you know, I want the best players to play. I want the guys that are going to help us on Saturday win games be be playing. In a selfish world, I'd like them all to redshirt, right? I'd like to I'd like to be able to get them all during that season where you get a lot of development time. You get to know the players uh, and get to develop them. So you're getting, you know, later down the road, you're getting maybe a little bit more than you do that first year when they're fresh out of high school and they're adapting to a lot of different things, not only – um, school-wise, but football-wise, and living by themselves without mom and dad for the first time. Uh, so there's a lot of variables in that freshman year that come into play. Um, so selfishly, yeah, I'd like to redshirt and, and get as much development time with them, but uh, the guys we, we've we been bringing in these last couple of years have been so talented that we we're, we're, we got to play them. You understand from a former player's perspective just the difficulty of playing as a freshman. What is something people may not think about when guys at either offensive line or defensive line or any position really playing as a freshman at this level in the Big Ten? It's hard, not only physically but mentally, right, and being able to um, be consistent. You know, you see a lot of freshmen first couple weeks, they, oh, that guy looks good, and then week seven, eight, and nine, uh, some guys seem to fall fall off a little bit. Um, I think, like you said, there's a lot of development time that comes into their, their training program that, as a freshman, you didn't have coming from high school. These guys come from all different programs. Some are fortunate enough to be in a great strength program. Some uh, had no strength program at their high school. So from a development standpoint, uh, that's the biggest thing, being able to be consistent throughout a long season now. You starting. Everyone thinks you start in September. No, these guys are starting uh, June. 
you know, and they get through June and July, and then you got a long training camp through August. Um, and so there's they put in a lot of time even before that first snap of game one. So um, that those are some of the things physically and then mentally being able to um, – know the playbook and, and being comfortable with reps. And like I said, you get better with game reps, right? And so um, that's just a time thing. Have you been able to tell after you've been with a guy maybe for a year, I mean the team for a year, which which players are going to make the biggest jumps? Have you been able to read that? Can you do that? Uh, yeah, I, I feel like I got a really good feel of, of guys' ceilings or where a player is going to go. Um, you know, especially like a guy like Alex Polchewski. We knew last summer when he walked in the door, this guy in 18 months is going to be really special once yeah. he puts on some size and some strength and, and gets acclimated to this environment. Um, but, yeah, I, I feel like I, I, I do see um, guys' ceilings pretty well. Have you seen anybody that just in the last couple of months that's just jumped out at you from coming from way back, not somebody that was a star already? Uh, that that guy's Jakari Norwood for me right now. Okay. Um, in in these six weeks that we've he's been a part of the program, you can tell movement wise and speed wise, he's going to add a dynamic to our offense that uh, is going to help. Larry Boyd is a guy that uh, came in pretty big. Uh, how's he been doing this off season? Where does he need to get, and where is he right now, size wise? You know, Larry Boyd's lost thirty pounds since he's been here, and so Larry's done a really good job of of committing to. Uh, his diet, his nutrition, and uh, Brittany and our nutrition staff have done a tremendous job with him. Uh, and then also the training. He's, he's been very locked in these, this offseason and through the end of last offseason. Um, Larry's right around 320 right now, and I look for him to have a, a really good spring ball and, and kind of propel himself into that summer, summer months. Where, where do you want him to be at? Right around there, you know, we'd like him to be in the high teens number, and uh, it's a big man's game. We want these guys to be as big and as strong as they can, never at the expense for how well they move. So we talk about a Jakari Norwood, or we talk about some of these guys that might be a little undersized or lighter, right? We want them to be as big and as strong as they can, never at the expense for how well they move, right? So if we have a 4'4 guy that is 180 pounds, and we get him to 190 pounds, he doesn't run 4'4 anymore, I want to go back to... That, that, that weight where he ran better, right? Because uh, especially what you're going to see in this offense, our guys got to be able to run. We've got a situation in, at quarterback where basically we have one scholarship player, and I wonder uh, how careful you have to be. I, first of all, on the field, you can't have him throwing for three, you know, for three quarterbacks because the guy's likely to get a sore arm. I just wonder, what about Cam? I mean, what are his prospects? Cam, Cam's another guy that uh, – this offseason is going to be really big for Cam. Cam's got to put on some size, got to put on some weight, um, and then keeping Cam healthy. Like you said, uh, he is the only scholarship quarterback we have on the roster currently. we got some more guys coming in the summertime. Um, and, and, and so to keep an eye on, uh, on that and how much he's throwing, that's really a, a Rod Smith question for how much he wants him doing. But I know uh, down in, the, in, in my area that, that we are – aware of, of the volume of reps he's getting at practice. Yeah, and you got another 25 guys coming in this summer. That's not that far off. Yeah, they'll be, they'll be here pretty soon, you know, before you know it. I, it's, uh, I can't believe we're in spring ball already. So June will be on us and, and see what we got when those guys come in the building and, and, and hope they can, they can uh, help us in the fall. 
Joey Bose joining us on Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS. Joey, we've talked about this before, but how difficult it is it to organize a roster this size in terms of just working out and, and getting these guys weightlifting and from a, your job perspective? Uh, the organization of my job? Yeah. It, it's no different with the numbers. I mean, we'll be able to handle – 110 guys or 80 guys um, do the same thing. We break up our groups in the offseason, very similar. We like to have about 25 guys in a group. So if we have more guys, we'll just run another group uh, throughout the day. We train Monday, Tuesday. We take Wednesday off. We go Thursday, Friday. Um, really, the organization with the numbers right now in spring is our depth issue and how much how much good on good reps we're getting, how, many, how much reps we're getting with the twos, and uh, making sure that – we are really on top of uh, how much work they're getting uh, during those practices and make sure that the, the strength training matches up with that. We got pretty far into this uh, segment with you without talking too much about Mikey Dudek. How is he doing physically? Uh, everybody knows what he's gone through the last couple of years and then towards the end of last season, what he went through, had to miss the rest of the year. How is he doing physically right now? Mike's great. Mike's as good as I've ever seen him. Um, I'm a, I'm a big Mikey Dudek fan. Uh, he's a guy that he's what you want in the locker room. He's what you want in the weight room. He's what you want on the field. He's a guy that um, does everything he's asked to do uh, and then some. Uh, has a great work ethic. Uh, and, and he's a hard charger that I look to have a really, really big year this year. Well, I want to ask you about the football performance center. Uh, ground is now moving. This is a reality. You can talk about pictures, and you know, we talked to Lovey about this, and there's all kinds of pictures out there. But when there's no ground moving, it's not reality. Well, now it's moving over there. It has been for several months. As you look at that, what kind of just goes through, goes through your mind now that you see that project officially underway? It's huge. Uh, I've spent a lot of time working on the facility and what they're going to do, what we're going to do in the weight room. Uh, the ability to have it connected to the indoor for my area is, is really, really big uh, with the time restraints with the NCAA. Um, the transition from going from speed work to the weight room or conditioning into the weight room. Um, so the proximity of it is going to be great. What it's going to do for our student athletes is going to be really big too. Um, having everything in one area for them. Um, and, you know, the player path will be really big where they come in and um, – the locker room, the new, the new facility, the new offices, the weight room—all those things are going to be big, uh, not only for our players but for recruiting for the future of Illinois football. I think it's a really big step um, to to getting back to where we want to be. What is one thing that you push for? One toy uh, that you really push for besides you know the weightlifting machines, bench presses, and things like that? Is there anything that you really push for that you felt players needed? Oh, uh, it's it, there, there's been a lot of things that have been up for debate for what they need and what they don't need. Uh, you know, my area is pretty simple. Uh, there's there's some there's some gadgets that we that we've got and some cool things. Um, you know, but a 45 pound plate in here is going to be the same as a 45 plant, pound plate over there. You know, the wow factor for recruiting uh, will be really nice with this new facility. The size, the space that we're going to have. Um, the size and space that we have right now is really good. Um, I just think it'll be a little bit more functional for what we want to do. Um, and I'm excited. The guy, I know the players are really excited about it. And uh, you say ground moving and stuff. It's every day I walk by there, I go, oh, wow, look at that. That's a big hole. Or, hey, I, I'm shocked at how much work's gone in in the last two or three months to the facility. And it's exciting.
Do you push for any kind of hot tub or anything like that? Oh, that's more Jeremy Bush's area. I know he's he's pushing for hot tubs and, and, and some of the therapeutic things for our players. Uh, I've been involved with some of that stuff, and it, it's it's exciting. And then uh, big long home run yesterday uh, by uh, Bryn Blaine. Blaine. Yep. And uh, so they're going to make a run for things, I think, in the Big Ten. See what happens. Thanks to Kedrick Prince, Dave Repson, and Joey Bose, and to Evan Connor, executive producer, Lauren Tate, I'm Michael Kaiser. Have a great weekend, everybody.